Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Hey, do me a favor if you're here in Phoenix, so we got a bunch of people joining us in Montgomeryville online. Let's welcome them as loud as we can. What's up, Montgomeryville? You're watching online. It's great to be with you as well. And I just want to jump right into today's message. It's Easter, obviously, you know that. Um, and I want to talk to you on the topic of, of being late today. I have a reoccurring dream. I'm 41 years old, and uh, I graduated from Bible college almost 19 years ago. And I've had a dream uh, since I graduated that has recurred. It's almost a nightmare uh, for the last 19 years. It happens two or three times a, a year, and, and it's, it's, I'm always thankful that it's, that it's a dream. But uh, I, if you've never been here before, I've talked before about my experience in college. I was a, uh, a below average student and a pretty, pretty, like, pretty low GPA. Like, people have asked me, what's your education? And I say, yes. But like, and they want to know, they want to know if you have your master's or your doctorate. And I just tell them, listen, uh, they're not gonna let me back in there. Like I, you have to get a 2.5 to, to, to get into you know, to the master's program at the college that I went to, and let's just say mine is south of there. And so I just didn't spend a lot of time in class. I was, you know, kind of, a, kind of immature at that point. And, and I barely graduated. In fact, my last semester, I had to take 18 or, 18 or 21 credits just to graduate. A few, a few of them were online courses where you would do them with your, you know, a couple times a year, show up and talk to your professor. And, but I had to take a bunch of credits just to graduate on, on time. And, and I barely graduated. And I was, I was always late and I was always waiting to the last minute. And the syllabus, what the heck's the syllabus? Why are you giving me a syllabus? And like, that was just my mentality. Like, it, it, it was just a constant battle for me. And so when I graduated, I even had to fear I was going to show up and they were going to be like, what are you doing here? And I'd be like, well, where's my cap and gown? And can I get one of those cool sashes that says I'm smart? And they were, no, we're, you're lucky to even get the cap and gown. We might just give you the gown. We're not going to give you the cap. And so I graduated, but just, just barely, like just barely turned stuff up, starting stuff in on time. So I have this dream now where I, about three or four times a year where I'm still in college, but it's like the last semester and I've missed a, an assignment and I'm not passing and, and, and I show up to graduation and they're like, well, you, you have to take another year. You have to take it there. You've been late. You've not taken it serious. And, I, and I'll wake up like, and I'll be like, Phew. I'm 41 years old. It's barely any time I'm grateful that I'm 41 years old. When this dream happens, I'm grateful. I woke up, you know, I'm glad that I'm not in school anymore. I'm glad that this was, was a dream. But that recurring nightmare of being late is, is kind of going to lead me to where I want to talk to you about today. Because I feel like if we're honest with ourselves in a room this size, there's some of you, you get this message. And there's others of you that are carrying around a ridiculous weight in your life, a weight of shame, a weight of mistakes, a weight of what if, uh, a weight of regret. You feel like you've lost some things and you, 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 you struggle with that question. It's, it's probably too late for me to do anything. You know how I know people struggle with that is I Googled that and like, I know in Google, you're going to, you type anything, something comes up. But oftentimes I judge how, how, how popular of a question that it is based on the amount of answers that it auto fills in. And so I just typed in, am I too late? 
and it just filled, filled it in. And it was like, am I too late to be successful? Am I too late to change? Is it too late for me to be happy or too late to find love? Is it too late for me to move on? Is it too late for me to start over? Is it too late for me to be forgiven? Some of them got deep. Is it too late for me to turn my, my, my life around? Maybe some of you would say, is it, is it too late for, for my marriage? Is it, is it too late for me to break free from this addiction? Is it, is it too late for my grown kids to come back to faith? Is it too late to be who I was supposed to be? You know, right before I came up here, we played a, a modern retelling of a, of a too late Bible, Bible story found in the book of John chapter 11. Jesus is, is too late. Uh, if you know the story, you've heard it before, but if you've never been in church before, I want you to be up to speed with us. But we're going to be introduced to a few people, Martha uh, specifically, but Martha has a sister named Mary and, and her brother Lazarus. They're friends of Jesus. They're not just acquaintances. We know they're friends because in, earlier in scripture, Jesus is in Bethany having a meal with them. We see the funny interaction. Martha's type A, Mary is middle child, you know, float by the skin of their pants. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of kid like Martha is on time scheduled out Jesus shows up to her house she has the 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 settings right the food is right she has everything she wants to do the main course you know the first course the dessert all all the everything is set perfect Mary's just sitting there Mary's just hanging out some of you go in to hang out with family today maybe you haven't seen them for a while and they put the list of who wants who's going to bring what Mary is the role girl you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are the role. Like, it's, it'll be like, I'm bringing filet, and I'm bringing this, this, and this is going to take this long, and, and, and I'm bringing rolls. <laughs> you, know the, you, know, you know the part of your family. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody just elbow the roll. She's the role person. Like, oh, Jesus is here. I'm just hanging out. Martha goes to Jesus. Jesus, tell her to get up and help. To which Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to be here that long. Food is important, but this is more important. Come sit down. So they have this interaction with, 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 with Jesus. So a few short time later, Jesus gets a message. Lazarus, our brother, is sick. He's really serious. He might be dying. Would you come and would you, would you heal him? Not a weird question, by the way, because this is what Jesus does. He turns water into wine. He walks on water. He feeds 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. He does this stuff. He brings dead people back to life. He heals the lame. He, he, he gives sight to the blind. Jesus is in the business of helping people, and if he's ever going to help someone, it should be his friends that he knows. So Jesus says what Jesus would say. I'll be there. It's not going to end in death. I'm, I'm on my way. Only to find out that as he's on his way, he takes a little bit of time. In fact, if you read it in Scripture, the book of John chapter 11, the Bible says that he stays there for a few more days. He says, I'm coming, but he stays for a few more days. He's late. Finally, Jesus shows up. If you read in Scripture, in John chapter 11, verse number 17, the Bible says, on his arrival... That Jesus finds out, finds out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. This is like you coming on Thursday thinking Easter was on a Thursday instead of a Sunday. And I was telling you, you missed it. We did five experiences. You didn't come to any of them, right? Like this is that kind of situation. You're here, but you're here really late. The Bible says this. I love this part of scripture. I just want you to picture this. Some of you have a wife. You ever been late to something you said you were going to do? And you know it's, it's going to be a moment with your wife where you're going to have to meet your maker, right? But you see them off in the distance. You know how your wife walks. They just... And you're like, help! Rapture, right? Anything. 
It's that moment Jesus shows up. The Bible says Jesus shows up. Bethany was less than two miles away from Jerusalem. Bunch of people in verse number 19 have come from Jerusalem to mourn with them. And Martha hears that Jesus was coming and she goes out to meet him. How's she going out to meet him? Peter's like, yo, Jesus, Martha's coming. She's pissed, right? <laughs> you let her down. Interesting part of the story. Watch the humanity in the story. Mar- the Bible says Mary, who once sat his, at his feet and would not leave him. Where is she? She stays home. She doesn't even come out to see Jesus. That's how mad she is. At least Martha's coming out. She might be mad. Mary won't even come out. And they are in this moment where they are completely disappointed with Jesus. And they, they are like, Jesus, you are way, way too late. And I want to talk to you on this topic. And some of you, you would say that. Man, Jesus has been too late. Or I've done too many things in my life. And it's probably too late for me to change. It's probably too late for me to be different. I just want to give you some Easter, some Easter truths today. Things that, that I know that some of you know, but I think some of you probably need to know. Some, some things that are biblically true of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the message of Easter, that he died, he was put in a tomb, and he rose in power. Well, what, what, what does that mean for us? Let me give you some Easter truths. Number one is this, really important. Jesus is never too late, and you are never too far gone. So I, I want to... I want to speak directly, like some of you are like, yeah, I know that. Give me something new. Well, it's Easter. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen, right? I'm going to talk to somebody in Montgomeryville. Somebody in Montgomeryville, you've been, you've been here, and, and, and you are convinced that it is too late. If you look around, you're like, man, everybody has their life together. They've been coming to church for years. Look at the part in their hair. Of course, they're perfect, and they're smiling, and you don't know the person down the road from you just has been here for a few weeks or a few months. You don't know what they were struggling with or what they've experienced or what's been said or done to them or the mistakes that they've made, and you are convinced that they've had their life together, but it's too late for you, and I just want to talk to you. I'm going to look right in the camera, maybe, or talk to you in your home, or right here live with me. It is never too late for you, and you are never too far gone. Watch what, watch what, watch what Martha says in verse number 21. She says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but, but you weren't here. Maybe you struggle. It, if I would have grown up in a different home, if I would have had different experiences, if I would have met this Jesus guy when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been through the things that I have been through and done the things that I have done and made the mistakes that I have made and have the regrets that I have and the shame that I carry around. And I feel like it's too late for me. I've made too many mistakes. I got too many scars in my life. There's too many generational curses stacked up against me. I've had too many sexual mistakes and affairs in my life. I've had one too many abortions. I've been addicted to one too many drugs. I've missed the boat. It's too late for me. To which I would say, Jesus is never too late and you are never too far gone. Some of you wonder, why is Jesus four days late to prove this point? See, he's done some pretty cool stuff in his life. I mean, he walked on water. He silenced the storm one time. You guys read that story. He took a dude, little boy's lunch and he, he multiplied it and he fed 5,000 people in that moment oh yeah just so you know in that time they didn't count the women and the children so there was 5,000 men which means there was probably 5,000 women but in most churches there's more women than there is men so maybe there were 7,000 women there and who knows how many kids they had because they didn't have modern day birth control like we have so he took one little boy's lunch and most theologians believe he fed 20,000 people that's huge he's done some cool things he was walking this woman with the issue of blood touched him instantly got healed even one time, he healed a, a little girl that had died just with his voice. 
Some pretty cool things, but this is the icing on the cake. This dude is dead, dead. He's been dead for four days. I did some studying of this, of this, this what would have happened because, you know, when you start dying, instantly your body starts to go through, through a process. There's five stages of death. I Googled it. It has to be true. <laughs> first, stage, first stage of death is, is fresh stage. Next is early decomposition stage. Then there's advanced decomposition stage. Then there's when you start to turn into a skeleton. And then eventually your skeleton decomposes. How far is Lazarus into this, this, this process? Well, he's in the first two. First one's the fresh stage. You instantly die. You go through all the mortises. You know what I'm talking about? You go through liver mortis, algor mortis, rigor mortis, and cell death. Body, gravity starts to settle your blood and, and, and your, bone, your, your bones and your muscles start to stiffen up and, and everything starts to harden and it's like you become a piece of stone. You, you, you've seen this in TV shows where they find a body that's recently dead. They, they, turn, they turn stiff, but he's past this stage. Eventually your body, it softens out to start the next phase, the stage of decomposition, decomposing, stuff, stuff being, being eaten away. In this stage, more stuff starts to happen. Your skin starts to change. You go from the skin color that you are to a green, to a gray, to a marble. Best way I can think of it is walking dead. Your skin starts to look, look different. Oh yeah, this is when flies begin to go, hmm, this looks like a good place for us to lay eggs. And they fly in and they begin to lay eggs. And oh, by the way, your body starts to bloat with gas. Not the funny kind of gas, right? Gas starts to push your eyeballs out of your head. Eventually that gas begins to change into liquid and liquid begins to drip from every orifice and hole that it can find. One person reminded me that in this time and age, not only did you go through that process, but in this time and age, it was common in that tradition that when you died to cut out your, 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 your organs and place them in clay jars all around you. Forgot to say this the first two services. So not only is this dude's body decaying, his liver and his lungs and his heart and probably his brain are sitting in jars all around him. I mean, life has been taken from him. Some of you can relate to this. Your heart's been ripped out from you spiritually. Your brain is filled with condemnation and pain and, and regret. And man, it feels too late. You, you don't look like the person you thought you would look like and you struggle with things you thought you would never struggle with. And I just want you to understand that the reason Jesus waited four days is so that he could tell us this message that I want you to know that it is never too late and you are never too far gone. It's never too late for you. Remember when I was in that same college, the Bible college, there's pressures in Bible college. You don't know about them if you didn't go. One of the pressures is to get married. Like when you're 22 and you're a normal person, it's like, I'm 22. I just started putting deodorant on consistently, right? <laughs> but a Bible college, it's like, you got to get married. So 18 years old, you feel the weight. You start to hear things like, you're going to be a pastor. You need to have a wife that can play a piano. You need to find somebody. You need to, be, you need to have a ring by spring. They used to say it was a joke, but it was true. People would meet and get engaged and get married literally in a week. It was the weirdest thing in the world. And then you had this other pressure because there was only so many girls and so many guys to, to go around. And so it's just, you're just trying to figure out who you're going to date. It's this big game and you're trying to find a girl before everybody else finds the girl and instantly lock that up and marry her. And we got to do all this stuff. And so the other guys used to say stuff like this. There's no ring. It's no thing. So you got guys on the hunt. You got, you got, you got this pressure to get married. You got to find somebody that plays the piano so they can play for your altar call. 
And this is the wait. And so I remember being in Bible college, and, and the first year, I didn't, I didn't find anybody. And, and I was, uh, this was my second year. I was turning 19, going on 20 years old, and you know, I just figured out deodorant and brushed my teeth every day, and I'm starting to shave and all this stuff, and I got to find a wife. And so I saw Leah. I asked Leah out. She said no. But I felt the Spirit of the Lord say, ask again. So I asked her again the next semester, and she must have heard the Spirit of the Lord, and we started to date, and we had gone on some real dates. I had taken her on the border. I had taken her to Chili's. I had taken her to Applebee's for half price. She was, she was beginning to become my girlfriend. She was going to become my wife. I needed everybody to know. I was marking my territory like a puppy. This is the girl that I'm going to marry, and I wanted to be spiritual at that point. And I wanted to show her how, how godly I was. And so I was not in the habit of going to chapel. Chapel was every day at 11 o'clock. It was so early. <laughs> I just didn't go. It was boring. I'm not going to lie to you. I just didn't want to go. And so I didn't go to chapel, but she did. And I noticed how much she loved the Lord. And I realized that for me to get to her, I was probably going to have to get close to God because she didn't want a loser for a husband. And so I started going to chapel and really learning about the Lord and really leaning into the call that God had on my life. And I was going to chapel, but this one day I messed up. I overslept. And I didn't show up to chapel at 11 o'clock. We went to chapel, then we went to lunch. And I didn't show up. And I remember waking out of my bed, and, and I was freaking out. I put my clothes on. I got to the chapel about five minutes before it ended, went up to the balcony so that I could find her. I figured out an excuse lie of why I wasn't there. And I was like, well, we're going to be fine. We're going to go to lunch. And I went up to chapel. And remember that no ring, no thing thing. So I, I was already worried some other spiritual guy is going to be there. And out of the corner of my eye, I'm not lying to you, I saw this dude named Aaron. And he had his eyes locked on Leah from across the chapel. And he was the type of dude, Bible college dude, carry around his Bible everywhere. Like he was super spiritual. You would catch him on the front lawn on a, on a, on a blanket, a grown, you know, young man on a blanket with no shoes on, reading his Bible and journaling. You know what I'm talking about? Wearing Birkenstocks, like that kind of thing. And the thing about Aaron is I knew him well because we played on the same basketball team. And so I knew who he really was. I knew how he talked. But I also watched the game that he threw at girls. And girls fell for it. All you got to do is walk up with a big Bible. Boy, here I come. And I watched him. He had that Bible and he had his thing. And he, he got Leah's attention and he started opening. I'm like, don't you dare open up that Bible. Don't do it, Aaron. And I'm watching from a distance. He opens up the Bible and then they sat together. And instantly I was like, it's over. I skipped chapel. She knows I'm not godly. I don't carry a Bible with me. I don't journal. I don't wear Birkenstocks. And I went back to my room, I took off my, my, my good clothes, I put back on my, 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 my sweatpants, I got in the top bunk of my bunk bed. I put on my CD player from, with, with Coldplay, I turned on yellow, and I put it on repeat. And I sat in my room, I'm not kidding you, for three hours, shades down, dark, nobody coming in, and I was so crushed. I'm like, it's over, it's too late, I missed, I missed a call, she likes Aaron, she's probably already engaged to Aaron. And then my phone rang, and I jumped off my bed. And I got it, and I pulled the cord as far as I can to the, to the, to the, to the bunk bed. And I paused my CD player, my three, my, three, my three CD player. You know what I'm talking about? Old school, boom backs, paused it, got on my phone, and on the other end of the line, it was Leah. And it was not condemnation. It was not telling me it's over, I'm engaged. Here's the invitation to our wedding. It was her saying, where are you at? I didn't see you at chapel. It's, it's dinner time. Let's go meet for, for dinner. Like, and, I, and me on the other line going, would you still like me? Of course, I, you don't, you're not married to Aaron. I don't like Aaron. He's a dork. He wears Birkenstocks. <laughs> to which I hung the phone up and I went, hey, hey, put my clothes on. It wasn't too late. I tell you that whole stupid story to bring it back to the point. Listen, listen, don't forget that story now. 
get the birth some some dude has Birkenstocks in here. Don't just throw them away when you're leaving. It is it is never it is never too late for Jesus to change your life, and you are never too far gone. Let me just take you in another part of the story, or another another point, Easter point. Punctuation is powerful. Punctuation is powerful. Here, here, here's what I mean. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I have a first grader. He's learning punctuation. He's learning, he's learning English. He's learning words. He's learning how to write sentences. He's learning he has to put a period at the end of a sentence. But then you have to teach him not every sentence gets at the end of a period because the thought's not over. You've got to put a comma, right? You've got you to keep going. And, so, and even teaching your first grader how to do a period is a pain in the butt. Like, anybody have a new appreciation for teachers? Like, I'm like, I don't know how. Like, I can't even teach my own son, much less 26 other people's kids I don't like, right? You don't get paid enough. Like you need to get paid a lot. Of, a lot is a hard job, right? And so, and, and so he'll do it. He'll even I put the put the period. I'll put a big line. I'm like, that's not a period. I'm like, a period's a circle. And then he does like a beach ball size circle. I'm like, I'm gonna kill you right now. I brought you into this world. Make it small, right? And he's just everything's just black and white. Gets a period. I'm trying to explain to him. Not everything gets a period. Sometimes, sometimes it gets. It's a comma. And here's what I want to tell you. Listen, so many times we're black and white, we, we, we just put periods in our life. We, we just end it. Lazarus is dead, period. I'm, I'm an addict, period. I'm an awful husband, period. I had an abortion, period. I'm, I'm, I'm period, like period. And here's what I want to tell you. If you read scripture, oftentimes God will change the period to a comma. What's a comma? Sentence is not over. Thought, thought, thought's going to shift. You, you see it in this, in this story. The Bible says in, in John chapter 11, verse number 4, that he says, he says Lazarus is not going to end in death. This is not going to end in death. Then he says, no. And he puts a comma. Do you imagine if he would have went, it's not going to end in death? No. Question mark. No. It's different. The punctuation is important. Let, 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 me show you, let me show you the power of punctuation. Let me, the commas. Can you bring these up? Let me just show you some signs that I read online. This one says, toilet only for disabled, elderly, pregnant children. Didn't know they existed, but okay, right? <laughs> Commas important. Punctuation. Let me show you another one. This one says, I like this one. Don't get mad at me. Read the whole thing. It says, a woman, comma, without her man, comma, is nothing. <clears throat> right? Let's read it right. All the girls. A woman, colon, without her, comma, man is nothing. Amen, ladies? That's true. Let me, I like this one. Tables are for eating customers only. Whatever. I like if you're a hunter. Hunters, please use caution when hunting pedestrian using walk trails. <laughs> this is my favorite. Go to the doctor. Gotta know why you're at the doctor. You're unable to eat diarrhea. <laughs> Something like, what's wrong with that? Needs a comma. It's weird. Needs a comma. Punctuation is powerful. E e even the word is powerful. I've told people for years, I say, we, we, one, of the, one of my favorite words in the Bible is but, because I'm kind of immature, right? And I use the same joke, God likes big butts, and he will not lie, right? But it's true, like you read scripture, like look at, look at, some, of these, look at some of these verses in scripture. John 9 says, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That big butt, I, now I see, I was blind, period, no, 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 but now I see. Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, period. That stinks. That's true. 
But it's not over. The statement's going to go in a different direction. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, in other words, some of you feel like there's no way out. But with God, there's always a way out. Some of you feel like there is no way through. But with God, there is always a way through. And some of you think there was no way for it to possibly happen in your life. But we serve the God of the impossible. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Punctuation is powerful. Let me just give you one more because I feel like sometimes it's like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? I do feel like it's too late for me. I do feel broken. I do feel lost. I do feel like pieces of me have been ripped out because of the decisions that I've made and things that have been done to me. And I do feel like there's a period. I feel like there's the end of the story. Like my, my story's already been written and I'm living in this prison of my mistakes that I've made. What am I supposed to do? Let me just, let me just explain to you something. Lazarus has been put in a tomb. His body parts have been taken out. They've sealed it with a stone. And the message is, period, this is over. He stinks. His eyeballs are coming out. His heart's sitting over here. His lungs are sitting over here. He has no liver. There is nothing Jesus can do. He's four days late, but it's never too late. There's a comma instead of a period. And I want to show you something powerful because sometimes you come to church, it's confusing. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to sign up. Are you going to sign me up for a class? learn the Bible, do my hair different, cover my tattoos. I got to stop cursing before I, I fit in. I, you know, stop listening. Like, what am I supposed to do in order to, to start to, to, to come to Jesus? Like, I got to do all these things, which is what we teach people. That's religion. Religion is you do these things, then God accepts you. The gospel says that God did everything to accept you. That's why Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Religion is effort, effort, effort. Jesus is grace, grace, grace religion is exhausting jesus is peace so what do you do well, i'm going to explain it to you like this i think the way you see jesus change your life is just one simple yes i think one yes to jesus changes everything i think the people sitting beside you that know christ would say that and of all the answers they still don't I don't have all the answers. I still don't. All I know is in my, my life, I said yes. I was 18 years old. I was the son of a pastor in, in a great home, but I did not love Jesus. My life was not going in the direction of Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with church. I hated church people. That's the honest truth. Some of you are like, you hate me? Sometimes, right? <laughs> but I'm not allowed to hate you, so then I pray, right? And so, but I didn't want anything to do with church. It wasn't my goal to be a pastor someday. No. And Jesus came in and he changed my life, but here's how he did it. One simple yes. I was on the steps of the Hershey Arena at something called Youth Convention, and I was trying to sneak. The guy was preaching just like I am, and he was doing an altar call. The piano was playing just like this, and he started playing, and that was my signal as an 18-year-old goofball, go find the girl that you like in the other church. So I was walking up the steps. This is exactly how happened, up the steps of the Hershey Arena, and I was going to find my girlfriend, and the Spirit of God stopped me in my tracks, and I just, next thing I know, I'm just sitting, and I'm just saying the words, yes. I don't, yeah, I don't know what it looks like. I don't like church. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to look when I'm 41 years old, but I just want you. Yes, Jesus, come into my life. Yeah, yes, you can have my future. I didn't know what it looked like, but you can have it. That's how you see Jesus change your life. You see it in the story. You read it with me, you'll see it. Jesus comes to the edge of the tomb. And he says, open it up. <laughs> Open the tomb up, to which Martha type A says, absolutely not, it's going to stink. All my friends are here from Jesus, you're going to embarrass me, right? To which Jesus says, you want to see the power of God? Watch this. Could you imagine Lazarus coming out? He says, come forth, Lazarus comes out. I don't know if he's holding his jars or not. He got his brain right, and he's hopping out. But I think what happened is he held empty jars. 
Here's where my heart was. Here's where my brain was. Here's where my liver was. It's back inside of me. Could you imagine from then on how awesome his life would have been? Imagine in the early church when they were like, hey, the Romans are telling us to be quiet. And if we don't be quiet, they're going to kill us. And Lazarus stands up. He's like, I've already been dead. It's not that scary. Jesus will save us. I mean, what, what a life he lived from that moment forward. One yes to Jesus changes everything. I want to end uh, with that thought of it, is it too late? Because 2,000 years ago, uh, the disciples would have felt that. Jesus died on the cross. They put his body in a tomb. They sealed it. The Roman guards guarded it. And the message would have been, this is, this is too late. I mean, the, 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 if, you, if you study how much effort went into keeping Jesus dead, it's crazy. Like they, the Roman guards, they would have, they would have had a, a bunch of them. They would have marched in two-meter square sections and just marched around this, this tomb uh, to keep Jesus in the tomb. The amount of work that went in, they sealed it, they rolled a stone in front of it. The seal was a, was a message, you come here and touch this, you're going to die. And Saturday, think about it, from Friday when Jesus was in that tomb, it must have been dark, it must have been disappointing to the disciples. And they got their best friend. They're building this kingdom, right? They're doing miracles. They're, they're, in, they're in the group. They're on the team. They made it. And then Jesus goes and dies on the cross. And disappointment, darkness. On Sunday, uh, the women come to the tomb. Mary, Mary Magdalene, they come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. That was customary in that time. I'm going to roll the stone away, go in, dump oils on him, you know, walk away. And they get to the tomb and the, the, the guards, they're gone. Which, by the way, uh, if they would have abandoned that, that right there, they would have lost their life. All those guards would have been killed by the Roman officials. You guarded that with your life. If you messed up, you died. So it's not like they just went to Wawa and missed it. They, they would have lost their life. They're gone. The stone, which is a lot of weight, is rolled away. And they quick go run in and they find, they find Jesus is not there. The Bible says they find the cloth that wrapped his body in the book of John chapter 20 on the floor, on the ground, in a pile. And then it says they find a napkin. I've never noticed this before. They find a napkin. And this napkin would have been placed on the, the lifeless body of Jesus on his head like this. Uh, and John chapter 20, verse number 7 says they find the napkin. If you read the King James Version especially, it'll read like they find the napkin and it says it's folded up. It, it's almost like Jesus got up, shook off the, hey, I'm back, right? Shook off the, the cloth, took, dropped it right there. It was like, I need to get clothes, right? And so get some, and then he takes the napkin. He takes the time to take the napkin off his face and nicely fold it up. You know, if you have a little boy, you've been teaching this for a while, nicely fold it up and leave it there. And I've, I've, I've read the Easter story. I've never noticed it before because I'm like, it's cloth, whatever. But I always pray, Lord, reveal something new to me through this story because the Bible says it's alive and active. And I want to step into the to, to newness. I want freshness in my own life. And so I went and studied this. And many, many theologians believe there's nothing there. It's just, just a detail. I'm of the belief that there's no such thing in the Bible. Every number, every person, they, they, they mean something. In fact, the word Lazarus, if you studied, I believe it means the, the one whom God will save. His actual name means that. Like Jesus would come and save him, the one whom God would save, right? Like Lazarus actually meant that. It's not by, by choice, right? It's, it's the sovereignty of God. And so I started to study this because this would have been, there's a message there. So the disciples then run to the tomb, Peter and John, and you can read it. The Bible, it lets us know. John writes the book. He lets us know. He wants us to know 2,000 years later, him and Peter ran to the tomb, but I beat Peter there. Typical dude, right? Like everything's a competition. 
He beats Peter there. Peter runs by, doesn't stop to him, runs right in, finds this folded, this folded napkin. What would it have meant to these young men? Well, they grew up in a culture uh, where there was a, a master and servant relationship. And so what would happen at a dinner party is, uh, is the servant would set the table, get the food ready, get everything ready for the party, and, and be perfect. Right? He, he wanted to impress the master. And then the master would sit and he would begin to eat and the servant would watch from the distance, watch every move the master made. Is the food good? Is it too hot? The master would have a napkin uh, and he would be talking to, hey, that's so funny, Bob. It's good to see you. He'd be wiping his mouth off. And, you know, it's very, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's this dinner party. So when the master was done, the servant would be off to the side. When the master was done eating, he would wipe his mouth off, you know, brush it up, brush it off. And, and the signal in that culture that the master was done and the servant could come clean up the, the food was the master would just ball up the, the, the cloth and get up. And that was a sign, come clean, you can come clean up. There was another signal the master would make. Sometimes the master would be eating, he'd be laughing, oh, it's so funny. And somebody's late. And the master's hosted, so he would get up. But before he would move away from his table, because he knew the servant was watching, he didn't want the servant to come take his plate because he was still hungry. He would take the napkin. He would fold the napkin up. And he'd place the napkin at his, at, his, at his place. And the servant would know that that was a signal to the servant from the master, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm not done. Don't you dare clean up my plate. I'm still eating. We still got another course. I'm coming back. It's not finished. It's not over. So what's Jesus saying in this moment 2,000 years ago in the tomb? Hey, guys, I'm coming back. It's not over. There's still time. There's still lives to be changed. This party is just getting started. In the words of the great theologian Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. <laughs> it's basically what he said. And I just want to encourage you, some of you, your life feels like this. It feels like a messed up rag. It's all filled with filth and garbage and it feels like it's chaos and all that stuff. But the Lord wants to come in and make peace. The Lord wants to come in and, and, and do what only he could do. The Lord has a work for your life. The Lord, he's come to change you and set you free. It's not too late. You're not too gone. Punctuation is powerful. Don't put a period where God wants to put a comma. What do you do? Just one yes. Yes. There's a verse in the Bible, Revelation, that says he stands at the door, at the door of your heart and he knocks. If you would let him in, he would come and he would eat, eat with you. Why, why does he say he would eat with you? That means he accepts you. He accepts you. He loves you. He stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. What does that feel like? Well, for me, it stopped me in my apathetic, idiotic, 18-year-old ways. And he changed me. But I remember it was just burning in my chest. It wasn't physically like a knocking. But it was more of a burning. Some of you, your, your heart's starting to beat faster right now. Some of you uh, are, feeling, are feeling something. Like you can't even explain it. Like I don't know what I'm feeling. But in Montgomeryville in here, I'm, fe I'm feeling something. That's the spirit of the Lord. And he's whispering into your life. It's not too late for you. I want a relationship with you. I want to change you. I want to give you a purpose and a reason. I want to work through your life. I want to give you... I want to give you hope where you're hopeless. I want to put you back together where you feel like you're, you're broken. I want to give you reason to wake up in the morning. I want you to deal with regret and condemnation and fear and failure anymore. And he wants all that, but let's think about it. When somebody comes and knocks at your door, earlier somebody's ring went off in the middle of my service. I know this thing was, I got a ring, I hate it, right? 
because it just goes off all the time. Every time they walk by from Amazon, it goes off. Every time the wind goes, it goes off. But, but somebody, when somebody knocks at, your, at the door, rings the doorbell, there's, there's your responsibility. What is it? You're going to open the door. You got to open the door. You're going to let the Lord in. That's your decision today. So do me a favor. Would you stand to your feet all over our houses? And would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And I just want to give you that opportunity. I'm not asking you if you know everything about church or um, understood everything I said. But you do know yourself. You know your struggles. You, you, you know deeply what you feel. You know how it feels when you put your head on the pillow at night and you can't sleep and you have to take a pill just to sleep. You know what it feels like to have anxiety, to feel like nobody cares about you. Some of you, you, you struggle with the feelings of inadequacy and, and being a mistake. Somebody that should have been for you was against you. And all you hear is you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You weren't worth it. And I need you to know there's a God that loves you. There's a God that loves you so much that he was willing to give up his life for you. There's a God that wants to save you. There's a God that wants to set you free. There's a God that wants to stick closer than a brother. There's a God that wants to be with you when you're down. There's a God that wants to lead you into your future, into your purpose. That God, his name is Jesus. And it starts with the truth of the resurrection. For scripture says, if, it, if the tomb was not empty and he did not rise in, in power, that he did not come back from the dead, that everything I've said here today is powerless. But if he did what I said that he did, there's the power to have your life changed in this moment. There's the power to have things shift. There's the power to have things put back together. There's parts of you that you thought were gone forever that he wants to restore. But it starts with the yes. And so I'm going to ask you that question. The same way Jesus went to the tomb and he said, open it up. That's my question to you. Jesus is here. Would you open up your life to him? Would you respond to his gospel? And so right now, wherever that you're at, if you're in Montgomeryville, if you're watching online, if you're right here physically with me in Phoenixville, and you would say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. You're, you're talking to me. I want Jesus to come into my life right now. I want to ask you to do one thing. You can't physically open up the door, but you can respond in faith. The way I'm going to ask you to respond in faith all over these, these houses, just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven, and that is just a signal to Jesus Christ you believe it's not too late for you that God has a purpose and a plan for your life and so without you would you just begin to shoot your hand towards heaven all over these houses come on all over these houses just say hey that's me I see a hand back here is there anybody else who said hey that's me in Montgomeryville I was talking to somebody and you would say man I believe it's not too late for me right here Phoenixville is somebody else come on there's a hand all the way in the back over here yes another hand right here yeah I'm just gonna sit here right now we only got one more service. They can wait. Is there anybody else say, hey, pastor, that's me. I, I, I didn't come here to have my life change, but I'm tired of living the way that I'm living, and I need hope, and I need forgiveness. I need what you're talking about. I want to invite you to respond. Come on, if that's you, I'm going to open up my life to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody else who say, hey, pastor, you're talking to me. You don't know me. Uh, we never talked before, but man, I, you're speaking to me right now. Come on, there's somebody, there's somebody in Montgomeryville. Let's clap for that person. Let's begin to pray all over this house. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done. 
We thank you for saving people. We thank you for your gospel that you came, you died, and you rose in power. And it's through your resurrection that we have new life. We have freedom. Oh, Lord, we, we're, we're free people. We worship you in freedom. We live in freedom. We don't live with condemnation. We don't live with the weight of our sins. Lord Jesus, you paid them in full. So we leave this place free people, found people, hope-filled people, joy-filled people. Lord, those that are giving their life to you right now, Lord, something's happening. They're feeling the Spirit of God fill their life. This joy, this unspeakable joy, this peace that surpasses all understanding, this never-ending, never-fading, never-running-away, never-giving-up love is filling their heart and changing them from the inside out. For Paul said, he said, in Christ we're a brand new creation. Behold, the old is dead and gone. The new day has come. Lord, we leave this place changed people. But as we get to celebrate you as we close, we're going to worship you as we close out these services as free people, as saved people, as set free people, as redeemed people, as restored people, as hope-filled people. In Jesus' name we pray one more time. Come on, church. Let's shout amen together. Come on, let's worship one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.